the things that really matter in our life, or at least those things that concern us. And we're going to talk about government this morning. This isn't an accident, I don't believe, that this week, uh, at least in the Western world, and Japan is pretty much listening and looking at what is happening east of us, across the water, to the United States. And whether you voted for him or not, and I'm not going to ask for a count of hands, <laughs> but there is a new president in the United States. Some are elated and some are deflated. And so we're going to see what plays out in this government. How is it going to come together? You know, I was listening to one commentator. He says there's never been in the history of the United States an election like this. There have been some that have been very close to this kind of a situation, but never like this. And it just brings to my heart what we have been saying for several months now. I think that the Lord, the God of heaven, the ruler of all nations, is bringing things together. Do I know what it is around the corner? No, I don't. Not any more than your favorite radio or t television commentator or your news commentator. They don't know. Everybody's guessing and supposing that they know. But we know one thing in our Bible about what is happening at the end. It's not the concordance. It's not the index at the back. It's the book of Revelation. And that tells the whole story. We just need to see how the pieces are coming together. But you know, the most important thing about looking into the future is living the presence of Jesus in your life from today, the rest of this week, this month, this year, this however long time the Lord gives us. That is the most important decision or event that we can celebrate. That Jesus Christ, as we've worshipped him in our singing, that he is the Lord of our life. He's the joy of our life as believers, as Christians, that we know that he's risen, he is at the right hand of the Father, and that he's coming again for his kingdom and for his bride. And we are the bride of Christ. So we celebrate with Jin this week. Maybe the Lord's going to come before that time, Jin. <laughs> but that will be very exciting for all of us. But if he doesn't, we wish you joy. The Gospel of God concerning Jesus Christ. Romans 13, 1-7, God and government. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And as we read along through this passage... Please take note of the bold sentences because that's part of my outline. For there is no authority except from God and those which exist are established by God. Hmm. 
Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have oppressed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom tax is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. Let's pray. Father, guide me in what I speak and say. I want it to be not distracting, but pointing to you. And I pray for the hearers of this message also, that we would be able to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us through your word. Thank you that we can come to you. You rule over our hearts now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just for a bit of background in this subject, I've developed my outline out of the seven verses of, of Paul, Romans 13, 1-7, along with Peter's first letter to the Christians in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire is, is really the last of the great empires of the world in world history. In some ways, even here in Japan, but more so in the United States and Europe, that Roman influence has filtered into our governments. And by that influence, we're still pretty much into some of the very laws, rules, understanding of how people are ruled. And so the Roman Empire does affect us. It is part of our thinking and the fabric of our customs and ethics and the way we view those who are in government over us. So it's not like, well, this is, this is history. And history has nothing to do with us. You know, I used to sit in high school history class and was bored with it. But when I got into college, I took a history course that I was required to take for credits. But that professor was incredible in the way he brought life to something that was centuries old. And I gained 
an appreciation of people that looked back and could bring forward those things that were necessary for everyday life and understanding. That is what I think the Bible does for us. It basically is a compilation of history. Yes, it's the Word of God. But we as men and women and people, we have this as a record for our present life application. It is relevant to us. It's not just a history book. It is for life and well-being. The Roman Empire, getting back to that, was in many ways one of the most cruel and ungodly empires in history. But yet, in the context of the Roman Empire, God brought together those men and women who were touched by the Spirit of God. And that was the context in which Jesus Christ was born. And we just celebrated his birth. He was born into the context of the Roman Empire. And not just in the beginning of it or not at the end of it, but at one probably where the cross was very prevalent as an instrument of power to bring judgment and condemnation on them who did not do good, according to the empire. Some people say it was the Jews who crucified Jesus. Well, it was by the instrument of the Romans. But in actuality, as we've gone through the first chapters of Romans, we see that, no, we were the ones who caused him to be hung on a cross in the Roman Empire. My sin caused that for him. That's the understanding of what Christianity was born into. That's what we have inherited. That's part of our heritage. That's part of what we have as our legacy. Do you understand that? Do you understand the implications of that? We're sitting in this room and all of us, whether this is the first time you've ever been in a, in a church meeting and it has implications, Jesus' death on a Roman cross has significance to us here today. It is not an accident. It is brought to reality in our lives. God and government. And the two apostles that are most read, most well-known in the New Testament, say pretty much the same thing. And so I've used, actually, Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2 to kind of complement each other and to show you how they integrate together. The outline starts out with, in verses 1 and 2, For there is no authority except from God. We'll cover that. For it is a minister of God to you for good. Some translations say, for he is 
a minister of God to you for good. And thirdly, we understand that we are aware, we have a conscience, we're understanding that we're involved in this. And so how are we going to live our life in accordance to our understanding of God and governance? Governance meaning how we function together. And then finally, I want to end with examples from Scripture because we always need examples. We need models. We need to see what it is like to live out in our lives, okay? First of all, for there is no authority except from God, verses 1 and 2, which we've already read. Paul says, Every person is to be in subjection to governing authorities. Does that mean the Japanese government? Yes. Does it mean the American government? If you're an American citizen living in the United States, yes. And even when you're living in Japan, you still are under their authority. By taxes, by the way, which we'll get to. For there is no authority except from God. There is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. We are not a free people. We are under a government by whichever government we give allegiance to here on earth. But this scripture implies and defines that all authority is from God. And so therefore, it's not an option for us to, well, I'm not under God. Well, yes, you are because you're under the laws of Japan. And the laws of Japan actually are ordained by God. What? No, that does not make a bit of sense. The emperor doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. I don't think he does. And I doubt whether, well, I don't know whether President Trump believes in Jesus Christ. I mean, we think he does by some of the things he says, but some of the other things we have a question. So what is this meaning when it says that all authority is ordained by God? Do we like what's happening to us? Do we like God's rule over us through the laws? Are they just? Are they right like he is? That's not what this is implying. It is saying that As believers, we can live our lives free in Jesus Christ, following him as we follow in our attitude, in our demeanor, in our thoughts with the government that is over us, regardless of whether it is righteous by the rules and the standards of the word of God or not. But our attitude has to be that of submitting to Jesus Christ. This is a hard concept to get into your hearts and minds. How can it be that an ungodly, evil ruler I have to obey because I've got a God shown to me through the life and death of Jesus Christ? How does that Relate. Sometimes 
And most times, we think it's two different worlds. No, it isn't. It isn't. In the attitude and the demeanor, in our faith, we have to follow the laws of the land that we are living in. And we're free to follow Jesus Christ, regardless of what the law says. Now, you got I can see a lot of question marks on your foreheads. This does not make a bit of sense, what you're talking about right now, Ron. But it, it is what is stated here, that that authority that is over us is ordained by God. But how do you work out the, the details of that? How does it really function in our lives? Let's proceed. First Peter gives a little bit more light here, I think. First Peter 2, 13 to 14. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Be subject to the, for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And I take that to be even broader than just the government. It may be your professor who says, you are going to write about this subject and you're going to write it as though it is fact. Katie and I had a call from our son. We were in Japan and he was in his second or third year of university. And he was required by the professor to write a essay on homosexuality. And he was to write it that he was to tell his mother, explain to his mother that he was no longer heterosexual, but was homosexual. He was actually in uh, the military and he was concerned not so much by the fact that he would get a bad grade if he didn't write that. He was afraid that he would lose his scholarship from the U.S. government for the course that he was taking. And so he called and said, how am I going to write this? If I refuse to write it, then I'm in jeopardy of losing my grant from the government and he would be out of the military. We didn't know what the consequences would be, but this is what I feel God gave us as his parents to tell him what to do. We said, Kyle, write the essay exactly to what your professor is telling you to write. But at the end of the essay, Put down, I don't know whether I said a disclaimer, but put down a statement saying, this is not my thoughts, but this is the content of what I would say to answer this, this essay requirement. And in doing that, he said, okay, I, I will do that. He wrote it, and we anxiously waited, and we didn't hear from him for several weeks, and we thought, Maybe he got kicked out of the, the service. Maybe he lost his grant. 
But when we did hear, we were very relieved because he got top marks for that paper. He had been able to separate himself just with the disclaimer. He had fulfilled the assignment perfectly and was then able to continue with his studies. It was kind of interesting. Back in those days, this is many years ago, that same professor pushed the envelope even further because she had several in her classes who were under military grants. And she had an agenda. And by the fact that she had the power, she could require all kinds of things to come out of her class as product that she could point to and say, well, this is what my students are learning and they're able to write about. And many of what she required them to write were against biblical values. As it turned out, there was a case that came up, and our son was involved in it as well, where the commander or the person on that campus who was in charge of the students that were studying under that professor heard about this and filed a complaint against that professor. And through that, the judgment of the university was to fire her. Now, our son, in the very beginning, was concerned about could he continue with his college education if the money was, was gone? Or would he be in trouble if he had written something different? But God had honored him in that and allowed him then to have top marks. And in fact, we went home for his graduation. And you won't believe this. This, this was in a university that, and in the context of the army, we went to that graduation service and were shocked at what happened. They had a, uh, a service just for the military, a uh, baccalaureate, just for the military people that had graduated. We went to the baccalaureate and sat about two or three rows back because our son was up there on the platform. We didn't know what was coming next, but the commander of that unit said, uh, will you all rise for the invocation? He said, we've asked. Lieutenant Colonel Kyle Sisko will now give the invocation. We were astounded that our son honored God, feared God, obeyed his professor. The results of her demise, I don't know what happened to her. I trust that she came to the Lord and understood. But he was promoted to give the invocation. Our hearts were this huge. We could not believe what God had done. That's just an illustration of what God can do. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Praise the Lord. For it is a minister of God to you for good. And then what does First Peter 2 say about this? For this is the will of God, that by doing good, 
you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And then in uh, for the C point, for conscience sake, verse 5. In 1 Peter 2, 16 and 17 says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Do you know who the emperor was? Nero. It was Nero. I did a little history lesson this week, just looking back. Who was this Nero? By birth, he was not legally the emperor or the Caesar. Actually, it was his uncle who adopted him to get him into the line of the Caesars. So he was an adopted, not by true inheritance, but through adoption, to become the emperor of Rome. And if you want some ugly history, go back into the Caesars. Not a beautiful picture of who they were and who God allowed his son, Jesus Christ, to be born at that time under that kind of rule. What was God thinking about? You would think that the God that we love and understand is a God of mercy and love, that he would have cleared all that off and there would be maybe King David, a man like King David who was king. No. It was one of the most ugly, cruel governments that God could place his precious, beloved son in the midst of. Nero was very cruel probably one of the worst of the Caesars in what he did. And not only that, Christians, they were blamed for the burning of Rome. When in fact, there's much evidence that it was Nero himself who had burned Rome. And many Christians were killed, crucified, mutilated. Both Peter and Paul probably were executed under Nero. And it looked like Christianity had gotten pushed down and never to rise again. But God is supreme. God has placed those governments there for us to live and thrive and to know that there is a God in heaven who understands our circumstances. And you may think that your situation right now, maybe it's your parents that are against you right now, becoming a Christian. Many of you here, I've heard your stories of how you came to Christ against your parents' wish. And you decided you were going to follow Jesus in spite of it. We have met young people who were kicked out of their house because... They followed Jesus Christ. Were they disobeying their parents? Well, they wanted to follow Jesus, but they had to suffer the consequences of it. And some of them, their parents just cut them off. Maybe you have that story. Maybe you understand the cost. 
of what it is to follow Jesus Christ. You are in good company with both Peter and Paul. And maybe right now you're going through a situation with your friends, maybe even your teachers, where if you take the Christian route of honoring and respecting them, but following Jesus Christ nonetheless. God knows your circumstance. He knows your situation. He is above. He is the the authority that knows how to work out the details for good to those who love him. That's the God that we serve. So he's put you in a situation where your parents are against or your government is against you or there's some adverse situation in your own company or, or the company that you work for or the school that you teach in. But you need to follow Jesus Christ because you feel and sense and know his calling in your life. Live as people who are free. Not to just do whatever you want, but to recognize that you are subjected to Jesus Christ. You are submissive to him. And in being submissive to those who are over you, you'll accept the consequences. Who will we follow? Who is the one that we answer to? Are we willing to stand for Jesus Christ but suffer the consequences and know that by our doing it, we may lose our job. We may go to jail. We may be kicked out of our house, our family. Do you see that there is one that is higher? Let's use these examples of, from Scripture then. There were uh, three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were commanded by their, I guess he was a king, commanded to bow down to an image of Nebuchadnezzar. It was a golden idol, or an image that he had made of himself, and that when the nation would hear certain instruments, they would all bow down. But these three guys... Actually, their names were very interesting. Shadrach means command of Aku, the moon god. That was not his real name. That was not the name that he had received from his parents. His name was actually beloved of the Lord. Hananiah. Meshach, his name was Michelle. And that means who is like God person who is like God, Michelle. But they gave him his name, Meshach. Sounds very close, but it means who is like Aku, the moon god. Azariah means the Lord is my help. Abednego means servant of Nebo, another god of the Babylonians. Daniel's name was actually, God is my judge. And he was named by Nebuchadnezzar, Belteshazzar, which means Bel protects his life. And that was another god 
So these names meant something. And these guys lived under those heathen names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of the blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Now, they say, O Nebuchadnezzar, O king. What does that mean? They were respecting him. But even if he does not save us, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Okay. The consequences. They were thrown into a fiery furnace, bound hand and foot. And when Nebuchadnezzar looked down into that fire, he says, was it not three men we cast into the midst of the fire? Look, I see four men loosed and walking in the midst of the fire. And not only that, the fourth is like the son of the gods. Wow, can you see who that fourth one is? Who is the son of God? Jesus Christ was there in the midst of the fire with them. What a fantastic story. Then in Mark 12, 13 to 17, this is an example of Jesus. This is the Pharisees come to him, and they sent to Jesus some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. They didn't really know Jesus' heart, but but truly teach the way of God. Okay, well, they got it there. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? And of course, the motive of their heart was to trap Jesus. And if he was against Rome, then they had something to go to the Roman ruler and say, okay, Jesus is against the Caesar. And then it says, but knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is on this, on the coin that he had? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. What kind of an illustration was Jesus giving? He was taking a Roman coin and says, whose image is this? Think a moment now. What happened in the Garden of Eden when God created man? 
what happened just prior to him creating man. He said, let us make man in our image. Same word. Same illustration here of what Jesus was doing. Whose image is this? Whose image is this? Whose image is this? Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar. Render unto God which are God's. And that's where it kind of allows us then to, yes, we will probably pay the consequences of following in the truth of the word of God. But there are many, many, many men, women, and children who have followed after this understanding that it's God Almighty who is our ruler, our sovereign, that we give allegiance to. And you may be faced this week with choices like that. To either follow man and his government, which is ordained by God, because God raises up or takes down those authorities. I trust that this has been an opportunity for you to ponder some issues that you may be facing in your life right now or maybe a week or two or a year from now. And you'll be reminded of this message and go to Romans 13 and see how pertinent, how up-to-date, how applicable it is to your situation. Praise the Lord for his word.